शिलावृदेव की जाय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाय श्री हरि नाम संकीर्तन की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रमाण हरिगो सो प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू गुड मॉर्निंग फ्रॉम अर्जेंटीना माय प्लेजर अगेन टू टू जॉइन ऑल ऑफ यू फॉर दिस मंथली session of questions and answers sorry that we were not able to make it last weekend but i was a little bit uh, overwhelmed if you will with many activities that day and i realized that just on on time so still i'm overwhelmed but, but not so much today so I, i was able to to make some time for for meeting you which is my pleasure so well i don't know if you have any questions you may like to to present today or some topics you would like to to hear about <clears throat> jai yes sir. we have quite some questions okay <laughs> should i start yes so the first one is uh, from is from karuna okay And it goes like this: Espria Narma Sakas. What does Subhava and Sri Dama represent? Who they? Who are they? What means to be under the leadership of one or the other? Yeah. Just yeah. Translate it one in few seconds. Okay yes I remember this question was from the last meeting and we didn't we we wanted to give it enough time for for a more comprehensive reply so thank you for reminding me of that question so here Karuna Prabhu is asking about Pranarma Sakas such as Subal and Sridam and what does it mean to be a follower of them what does it mean to be in their group or i imagine he may like to hear about something about uh, the prospect in in sakyaras and this connection so well regarding the two sakas that were mentioned here or gopas krishna's friends he mentioned sridam and subal so these two are two of the main friends of krishna of course Krishna has unlimited friends. <laughs> That's a very interesting idea. You know, we may have five thousand friends in Facebook, and we feel oh, I have so many friends, but that's nothing. <laughs> and mostly, we don't even know who are our Facebook friends. What to speak of having a deep relationship? But Krishna has unlimited friends, and with each one of them, he has a very deep relationship. So, but there are still some main ones that are described in the scriptures, and, and these main ones has to do with like eternal associates of Krishna. Because, of course, when we say friends of Krishna, we can speak about those who are there eternally, if you will, called nitya siddhas, or eternally perfected beings, or nitya muktas, eternally liberated, or sadhana siddhas or kripa siddhas, some other who attain perfection, who attain in this case. such a position by uh, sadhana by practice and of course mercy 
or by exclusively by mercy, even without any practice. That can be some extreme, uh, rare case, but that's described by Rupa Goswami. So in the case of Sridham and Subal, these two are, of course, uh, part of the eternal retinue of Sri Krishna, of the eternal group of Gopas mm, that accompany him forever, if you will. Nitya Siddhas, Nitya Muktas. And uh, as you may know, there are different, there are subdivisions between in, in Sakya Rasa, as well as in Madhurya Rasa and, and other Rasas as well, Tasya Rasa and so on. But in Sakya Rasa, there are four main divisions, also presented by Sula Rupa Goswami in his Bhaktarasa Amrita Sindhu, four divisions of Sakas. You have the Sakas, you have the Suvrit Sakas, you have the Priya Sakas, and you have the Priyanarma Sakas. So in each one of these divisions, I won't go into the details of each of them, that will make long, long, long answer. It will be long anyhow, but not so long, <laughs> that's the idea, so we have time for more questions. But these four groups have to do with, one group will be predominated by members who are slightly uh, younger than Krishna, so their Sakya will be mixed with some Dasya. The ones who have the same age with Krishna will be pure Sakya, Sakya without mixture of other types of affinities. The ones who are slightly older than Krishna, their Sakya will be tinged by some Vatsalya. And in the Priyanarma Sakya, Bhav, we have those who are also of a similar age than Krishna, but who have knowledge about Krishna's uh, romantic life. And they are assisting him there, apart from the typical Sakya uh, relationship, if you will, where Sakas are sharing with Krishna on a daily basis, going to uh, take the cows to the pastures and playing different games and having fun together and so on. Apart from all that, that belongs to every Sakha component, Sakya component, Priyanarma Sakyas have this Madhurya component there that allows them to serve Krishna also, to give support to him in his romantic moments, if you will, well, somehow or other. And this is the main type of Sakya in our Gaudiya Sampradaya, of course, along with the type of Madhurya that the Gaudiya Sampradaya offers, mainly which is Manjari Baba or Radha Dasim. So, in the case of these two Sakas mentioned by Karuna, we have Sridham and Subal. So I spoke a little bit about Priyanarma Sakya. Sakya. So Subal is generally mentioned as the leader of group leader, if you will. It's called Yuteshwar. Group leader of this particular type of Sakas who had some affinity towards Sakya with Madhurya, Priyanarma Sakya, Subal. Now we will, I will go in further detail there. And Sridham, interestingly, he is not a Priyanarma Sakha. He is a Priya Sakha. He belongs to another category. He is the, the, the brother of Srimati Radharani. So you can imagine he's an eternal associate. It's not something, someone that became suddenly the brother of Srimati Radharani or something like that. So he is also a very intimate companion and friend with Krishna, but again, from another perspective, from another Sakya lens, if you will, those of Priya Sakya. So, that said, in our Gaudiya Sampradaya, 
the main emphasis is put for those who, who may have affinity for Sakyabhav, doubly put in connection to Priyanarma Sakyabhav, which has to do with Sakya again, uh, mixed with Madhurya. So, because again, Madhurya is such a prominent element in the Gaudiya Sampradaya that even Sakyabhav will be somehow or other in connection with that, in the service of that particular experience of Sri Radha and Krishna. So in Priyanarma Sakya, those Upasakas, Upasakas means like those worshippers in, in the wake of that mood. No? Upasakas means worshippers, basically. Those who are aspiring in that direction. They are advised to take shelter in Subal. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to take shelter in Subal? What does it mean to have him as a group leader? What does it mean to follow in the wake of his bhav? <clears throat> well, basically, I'm, I'm not only speaking about Priyanarma Sakya, but this has to do with what Raganuga Bhakti is about, basically. And we belong to a school that promotes Raganuga Bhakti. And it's important that gradually all of us who belong to the Gaudiya Sampradaya, of course, uh, basically get to know what Gaudiya Sampradaya is about because it's a little bit uh, weird if in time you belong to something and you don't have an idea what's that about. It's like you are studying, I don't know, architecture in the university for three years and if someone asks you what's architecture about and you don't have an idea of that. I'm just here hanging out with people and going to the classes and but you don't have a clear picture of where does it pointing to, which will be the converging point, and so on. So it's important to know, of course, where is the Sampradaya taking us? Of course, where we are here now in our present situation, but also to have a clear prospect. Mm-hmm. So Mahaprabhu came to give that, Prema Rasa Niryasa Koritya Shvodam Raga Marga Bhakti Loki Koritya Pracharan says Chaitanya Charitamrita. Sri Chaitanya Dev came not only to taste Radha Bhav, Prema Rasa, but he, the, 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 the byproduct of that was that he was, he was overwhelmed to such a degree by his own experience that that started to overflow him and sprinkle other people. And that's Ras, Raga Bhanuka Bhakti Loki Koriti Pracharan. He established in the world the path of Raga. So I won't go into detail in this direction because recently I gave a whole series of lectures on Raga Bharma Chandrika in English. As you may recall, it was like almost 30 lectures. So for you to have an idea that if I need to speak in detail about that, it will take 30 lectures minimum. <laughs> so better you go to those audios eventually. But, but briefly, Raga Nuga Bhakti means to follow in the wake of the mood of the eternal inhabitants of Raj. Raga, Anuga. Anuga means to follow. Anuga. To be a follower of Raga, of the type of passion, passionate love, that we find in the Brajavasis. When they say the Brajavasis, I mean those eternal associates of Krishna who embody a particular type of bhava, a particular type of mood of service that is the goal of our life. Of course, in the very beginning, as I mentioned in the Raghavarma Chandrika, in day one of our practice, we may not be aware of these things. Of course, it's not that you came to the temple first day and, oh, I want to be a follower of Subal. 
No? Unless you have been practicing for three lifetimes and that's overflowing you just. But <laughs> that's not generally the case. So that happens in time and that will depend on on the association we have, as you know. No? Bhakti is not inherent. It's not that we come with Sakya, Rasa, uh, whatever. No? DNA or Madhurya, Rasa, genes in, inside of us. It's not like this. No? It will come according to the type of Sangha that is becoming more prominent uh, along our lifetimes, because that can happen as well. You can have in this lifetime some association, but in previous lifetime you were practicing, let's say, for two lifetimes, and you received very strong bhakti samskars, devotional impressions, in the direction of, let's say, Sakyarasa. And in this third lifetime, which may be your last one, let's give an example, your guru is in Madhurya Rasa. Uh, uh, I say in Sakya, no, you received Bhakti Samskar from Madhurya Rasa in previous lifetime and your Guru now is in Sakya Rasa, let's give. So, it doesn't mean that now your Guru is in Sakya Rasa, there is a problem, no problem. But maybe you have already some affinity towards Madhurya Rasa and that Guru in Sakya Rasa will nourish that. No, there is no problem. Or vice versa, whatever may be the case. There, there should be no problem. So, so, but my point is this, Raga Nuga Bhakti eventually means this. Of course, again, in the beginning of the practice, we may be more concerned about some other things. Again, if this is our, especially if this is our first lifetime practicing, we may be more concerned about cleaning the chitta, chetta darpana marjana, purifying our hearts from an artist. Many of us may come even to Gaudiya Vaishnavism with many uh, unresolved emotional issues, human issues, psychological issues that may need to be in place before we project ourselves into the emotional reality of the Brajalila, the human-like reality of the Brajalila, because in Vrindavan we find human-like mm-hmm. elements, in Vrindavan we find... Uh, so I was saying that Vrindavan or the Brajalila, which is a goal in Gaudiya Vedanta, is a human-like place, it has a lot of emotional content. So, but if we, as humans and as emotional beings, do not have those sides of our humanity, relative side, fully in place, there may be some problem there. And we may be confusing, misunderstanding some things and projecting our emotional or human dysfunctionality into the realm of the Lila and thinking one thing is the other. So sometimes the beginning of the process for some of us, the purification stage may, may have to do with putting our humanity, emotionality in place, being balanced human beings. So when we look at the Braja Lila, we are doing that in a proper way. No? Not just projecting our humanity into the human-like Lila. Brindown is human-like, it's not human. Is human-like, which means it's more than human, but presents itself in, it's couched in human language, if you will, in human dynamics. So, so the point is that the goal is to engage in this Raga Nuga Bhakti, and that means to follow the Ragatmikas. Ragatmikas are those who are made of Raga, the Niti Siddhas, whose very being and identity is made of love for Krishna. And they are not Tatasta Shakti, Jiva Shakti. They are Sarup Shakti, personification of different forms of love for Krishna. So, in this case, Subal, for example. Let's focus there because 
Priyanarma Sakya is mainly connected to our Sampradaya. And Subal represents the role model to follow for the ones who aspire in Priyanarma Sakya, as in the ones who aspire in Manjari Bab, Sirupa Manjari is the role model to follow. So, to follow in, in the footsteps of such a person, of course, this is not something that happens from one day to another or you can imitate, but it happens gradually. Again, in the very beginning, we, don't, we may not even have a clue about our affinity because still we have more affinity towards Maya than towards Krishna. So, <laughs> now we cannot speak too much about transcendental affinity if we feel that still I have so much affinity in that direction. So gradually this starts to unfold. As we get purified, as we remain in the context of the sadhus, and we remain being affected by bhakti samskars. So at one point we will feel some attraction in a particular direction, and, and we will speak that up with our guru, Diksha Siksha Guru, a prominent guru figure in our lives, and we will share... I'm having this affinity, so what to do with that? Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that may, I may understand this is coming from this uh, influence in this lifetime or maybe from previous lifetimes, as I said. So what to do with that? So in that moment, our guardians will well try to nourish that affinity. The affinity, of course, is genuine because they may also put that to test mm-hmm. because we may, see, we, we may think Oh, I have affinity for this and that, but it may be something that I'm just projecting, or I, everyone has that affinity, okay, I should have that affinity, I also have that affinity, and not necessarily. Or sometimes someone may feel, I, I see that, you know, I devotees who, I, who clearly do not have an affinity for Madhurya Rasa, so they think, so I must have an affinity for Saki Rasa because I don't like Madhurya Rasa. So I, I was thinking, you know, it doesn't work like that. It's not that I don't like that, so I like this. No, even if you like Sakya Rasa, you shouldn't dislike Madhurya Rasa. No, it's not that I like this, but I don't like that. I mean, you have to like everything. And if you have a particular affinity, it doesn't mean that, oh, do not speak about me, that other Rasa. No, <laughs> all the things are too immature. So we need to be put to test ourselves and our guardians so to, to, real, to, to do things in a real way. And of course, some important thing in this connection has to do with the Dasya Bhav of Gaur Lila, which is the entry point for all of us unanimously, you know, because we may speak in terms of Sakya, Madhuri, and Brindavan. But first of all, we are here now as aspirant sadhakas, and we have to be trained ourselves on how to develop an, 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 an an, a, an ego of service, no? an identity as a servant. Because that's the foundation of any rasa. I mean, if you are not deeply rooted in dasya, in I'm a servant of my guru, I'm a servant of the Vaishnavas, I'm a servant of Mahaprabhu, there's no way that we will enter or even appreciate properly the Madhurya, the Sakya of Vrindavan. Because behind the Madhurya and Sakya or whatever rasa in Vrindavan, all of those are forms of dasya, if you will. All of those are forms of servitude. The gopis are serving Krishna in, in, in a romantic context, but they are serving Krishna. The Priyanarma Sagas are throwing Krishna to the ground, wrestling with him, whatever. But all that is in the context of giving pleasure to the object of their love. So we need, first of all, to express all those things in our present situation in connection to the sadhu 
that's I will say the as they say in English the litmus test. No, I I think you understand the expression hopefully. You know, like yeah, you have to go through that fire if you will, because if not, I've heard, I've seen that also people may like to speak about oh Shirada or Subal or whoever, but when you see how they relate between each other between the Vaishnavs, they don't have any respect, any appreciation, any service attitude. So I, I'm wondering which which type of Radha and Krishna you are imagining by jumping over, no? Sadhu Seva, Vaishnav Seva, because Gaur Lila has to do with that. Everyone in a Gaur Lila is a devotee. It's in the mood of a Sevaka or a Sadaka. Even they are perfected beings, but they are in that mood. So you need to enter into that mood and be a, a good, perfect Sevaka. So for us, Gaur Lila is this important entry point, and we are living now in the Gaur Lila, if you will, in an extension of the Gaur Lila, which is coming to us. Parampara. So we need to to connect to that main current, enter through that current, and as my Guru Maharaj will say, you know, you immerse into Gaur Lila and you will emerge into Krishna Lila. And vice versa as well. When you go deep into Krishna Lila, you will come out in the surface of Gaur Lila and so on. It's a circle thing. So going back to the topic regarding being a follower of Subal, that means, again, first all the things had been in place, and all this is part of that. That's my point, it's not disconnected. <laughs> so eventually, if a proper natural of Hindis coming by Sadhu Sangha, you are being put to test, you pass the test, if you will, there are so many tests, this is not only one, <laughs> but gradually you realize this, this is a real mercy that came to my life. It's not one's own merit, so we shouldn't be proud if some affinity comes. That's the grace of, of the Swarup Shakti in our lives. Uh, so we should be humbled by that. But to follow someone like Subal will imply, okay, I will speak with my guru figure. He or she will uh, share with me, I don't recommend, for example, certain particular sections of the Bhagavad to concentrate in certain lilas, to study certain verses, to go to certain books no, that will mainly speak about the mood of, of someone like him or the ones who follow him no, and, to, and to become gradually more and more embedded in, 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 in that particular mood and it's a process of time again along with our chanting, shravan, kirtan, sadhu sangha, service to the Vaishnavas and gradually no, starting to receive that particular current of influence so gradually that starts Shravan Kirtanam becomes Smaran. Those things that I hear about, I speak about, I think about. So our mind gradually becomes more and more uh, identified because we are building a whole identity here. So it's an ident identity process. It's not so easy. First we have to be properly steeped into our identity again as service, servitors. Divine slaves, if you will. <laughs> and gradually on that foundation, certain affinity will come for the Brajalila, and gradually we have to develop a whole sense of identity that that will develop gradually as much as we progress through the different stages and the Anarthas are taking off, the Upadis, the material designations that we're still identified with. You know, the, the power of the practice will be taking all that out, and gradually more and more this affinity and, and, and stages like a sakti, as uh, this is explained in 
also my Guru Maharaj's commentary to Sikshastakam, in a sakti we start to have a glimpse of who we are because we develop genuine spiritual attachment for the object, for Krishna in a particular way according to our affinity. So uh, there will be an identity that will be corresponding with that attachment as we will have a sense of identity now which corresponds with our attachments. Now I think I am this body, I am from Bulgaria, I am this. That will happen according to what we have. No? I have this nationality, I am this. I have two sons, I am a father. I have one car, I am a driver, <laughs> whatever. According to what I think I have, that's what I am. That's how it works here, but that's how it works there, in the spiritual realm, mamata. Mamata means possessiveness, a sense of what I have. So, eventually our attachments, material attachments, will be replaced by spiritual attachments. So that will result in, in, in a spiritual identity. Because the object of my attachment is no longer my car, my country, my body, but Krishna, in a particular way, in a particular relationship. And that will give rise to a particular sense of mine, who I am now. So, but again, before this stage of asakti, one can culture, one's affinity by the guidance of the Guru. There is no general magical formula in this connection. This is something very personalized, if you will. Eventually one will present one's case. That's Bhaktinath Thakur shows that very nicely in his Jaiva Dharma. When Brajanath and Bijay Kumar, they have certain affinity and they go to their Guru, who is the same Guru, and they present, I have this affinity, I have this affinity. One had affinity for Sakya, one had affinity for Madhurya, interestingly. So the Guru will start to recommend to them, this: try to meditate in this way, try to focus yourself, to see yourself in this connection, try to f- go deep into this study. So that's a personal thing no, that gradually will develop. But that will be the general course, and eventually that will result in becoming a follower of that person. Of course, you start to follow that by hearing about them, their mood of service, and that gradually becomes part of you. No? Gradually you put yourself more and more under the influence of that particular uh, ray, if you will, of this sort of Shakti, and that starts to define you more and more and more, till an identity comes from that. That may take time, but we are not in a rush here. No? So some ideas, no? of course, just a brief answer. But I hope that helps, Karuna. Um, of course, if there are further questions in that connection, we can continue speaking. So, what else? Okay. <laughs> Next question is uh, from Radha Giritari. In your class on about Baba, you said something very interesting. That when we want something, we see everything related to that, even Krishna. And instead, we should see everything related to Krishna. Can you explain a little further what this means? Is it clear? Uh, yeah, I think so. She said that in Baba, I mentioned that in Baba, we see everything related to Krishna. And basically, no, no, I think that... Uh, yeah, not in Baba, just in this class, you said it. 
Okay. That when we want something, let's say I want a car, mm. I see everything related to, related to this, even Krishna. I want this car because I will serve the devotees. Like, mm. you know, Krishna is in relation to the car. Mm. But rather, we should have, you should see everything related to Krishna. Even I have one club, I should serve with this person. Mm -hmm. Is this? Okay. Not to utilize Krishna for our material desires, but mm -hmm. what we have. Yeah, okay. yeah. Just one second. Okay. So, Srada Giridari, they're in the class. She's with Christina now. She's yes. here. Oh, she's there. Yeah, I didn't see the, I didn't see the video. I only, I now I see the the name. Okay, for now. So, well, yes, we should learn how to. Well, let's see. Everything starts maybe in the theoretical level when we receive the information hmm, that everything is related to Krishna. Actually. It's not something superficial. No? It's not that we have to make a, some, again, effort. I mean, we have to make the effort, but not, this should be natural because everything is connected to Krishna. It's not that we are imagining, okay, everything is connected to Krishna, so that will help me. No, no, everything is connected to Krishna. I mean, that's the whole idea of Sambandha. No? Sambandha Gyan means the initial education, if you will, the knowledge that gives you some orientation to your spiritual life. And the very word Sambandha, sometimes my Guru Mahārāj translates it as a conceptual orientation, who is who, what is what, who am I, what's the world, whatever, who is God and what's the connection between them. But the word Sambandha in itself means that, Sambandha. Bandha means connected, and some means everything. So Sambandha means everything connected. To whom? Of course, to its source, to Krishna. So Sambandha Gyan means that knowledge that shows me how everything is connected to Krishna. Of course, starting by myself. How everything has Krishna as its source, if you will. How Krishna is the Shakti Man, we can put it in different terms. He's his energetic source, and everything else is energy, Shakti. Whether it be Swarup Shakti, Jiva Shakti, Maya Shakti, but everything is a Shakti of Bhagavan. So everything is connected to Him. So the fact that we see something separate from Him, that's what we call Maya. And interestingly, Maya is also connected to him. So <laughs> it's not that Maya is separate from him, as some other traditions may say. You know, they, they may speak about God here, and you have Satan here. No? So the devil is against God, and he's trying to... But here we do not say that. Here we say Maya is connected to Bhagavan. He's a servant. He's a Shakti of Shakti Man. So everything is in service to Bhagavan. Everything exists in that uh, depend, dependent situation. So, the, the, the whole problem in our lives is that we are not still seeing things in those terms. So, we do not see ourselves in those terms, so naturally we'll, we project our own false sense of independence, we project that to the outer world. And we see all the other things, not as connected to Bhagavan in His service, but as waiting for rendering service to me. Hmm? 
So that's the big problem. No? We forget, I am connected to Bhagavan, I am Bhagavan's Nityadas, I am eternally dependent on Him, and everything else is as well. We do not see that. That's called avidya, which means misapprehension of reality. Avidya doesn't mean only ignorance. Avidya means, doesn't mean not having knowledge, but avidya means whatever I have is distorted. Do you follow? That's even more complicated. It's like if I want to, to play guitar and I go to my first class, there is this famous example. You go to your friend, with your friend, to learn to play guitar. So you, you play guitar for yourself and you created your own way of playing guitar for, for one year and your friend never touched a guitar before. So you go to the class and you think, okay, in my case, I already know something, so maybe the teacher will ask me less money for the class. Uh, and my friend, he will be charged more because he doesn't know anything. So eventually the teacher will say, okay, to your friend, he says, class is $3, and to us, he says, the class is $10. And you will say, why? I, I'm playing guitar for one year. He, and, but he will say, you are playing for, for, like, independently. You created your own idea of how to play guitar, and that's totally wrong. So I have, first of all, to deconstruct your false idea, take you to zero, and begin from there, while your friend is in zero already. So he's way above, higher than you. <laughs> so Abhidya has to do with this, misapprehension of reality. I think I know, but I don't know. So Sambanda Gyan implies that challenge, that we are willing to accept that. We are willing to recognize our own uh, ignorance. And that's painful sometimes. Especially, of course, if you are in ignorance. Of course, if you are enlightened, you don't have a problem in recognizing your own mistakes. But when you are in ignorance, it's difficult to recognize your own ignorance. So, but Sambanda Gyan has to do with this. Sambanda Gyan has to do with everything exists. In the words of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, yesterday was his Thirubhav Mahotsav, he will say, everything in this world is potential paraphernalia to be offered in the service of Krishna. He saw the whole world as a big Arctic plate. No? Sometimes the, art, the plate of Arctic represents, symbolizes the whole world. No? The incense, the lamp, the water, the handkerchief, the flower, all this represents earth, fire, water, either, all these elements that the world is constituted of. So what will we do with the Arctic play we offer to Bhagavan. We are not offering that to ourselves. We receive the remnants of that. So similarly, the whole world is like a big Arctic plate. So what will we do with the whole world? All that is to be offered to Bhagavan. And we receive the remnants of that, of course. So we should gradually develop this uh, vision. And again, it has to do with the previous question in the sense of we are here to develop a whole new sense of identity. How are we oriented towards life, towards the environment, towards everything? I am a servant of Bhagavan. Everything belongs to Him. Hmm? Of course, that's a hard pill to swallow, for sure. <laughs> Our ego may go, like to go running to some other schools of thought that will say, you are God. No? <laughs> that's much more appealing no? on a superficial level. Tell me that I am God. Tell me, tell me that I am super special and incredible and all-powerful and maybe Vaishnava school would say 
you are an infinitesimal part of the Absolute and are dependent on Him. That, and that's glorious. I mean, that's not an ugly reality, if you understand with humility. So, yes, it's important to see whatever is around us. And again, we should start with our own self. We should start, for example, the other day we were speaking about that with some devotees, with our own body. Generally, we treat our body as, it, as if it is our own property. And we have the right to do whatever we like with our body, because it's our body. But if you really understand our philosophy, you will understand this body is sadhakadeha. So sadhakadeha means the body of a practitioner, and that sadhakadeha was bestowed upon me by my guru. It's not mine. It's his property, or her property, and he or she gave that to me under my care. So my body is the gift from my guru. It's his property, and I have to take care of my guru's property. So try to understand, if you really live your life with that orientation, you won't, you won't do much of the nonsense sometimes we do with this body. Whenever we do some nonsense with this body, it's because at that moment, we forget these facts. We forget this body belongs to my guru, it's his gift, his property. We just think, I will do whatever I like. <laughs> Nobody's watching now. <laughs> no? That's why always this advice is being given. Try to behave as if your guru, your the sadhus, are present next to you now. But in a natural way. No? The sadhus are your well-wishers, they are not the police. No? They will chastise you if you do something wrong. It's just try to be as honest as you can. Because, I mean, if not, yours, we are still in a very dualistic platform. And that can happen. No? Do not suffer extremely. But we should overcome that. that one thing is, the sadhu is coming, I behave in a certain way. The sadhu is going, leaving, I behave in another way. So it's, I have a, a parallel life yet. So ideally we should get closer and closer to the standard of, no, I'm only one person, if you will, <laughs> in front of the sadhu, in, in private life. I, I, and I know that's a struggle of the sadhaka. It's not something so easy and that won't happen from one day to another. But at least we should focus in that direction. Srila mm-hmm. Siddhartha Maharaj will say that the Kanishta, the Kari, the neophyte devotee, will enter the temple and will behave in the temple in a certain way, offer pranam to the deities, give donation, hear the class, be in the kirtan, everything nice. But when he's crossing out to the street, outside of the temple, immediately he enters into another sense of identity. Now, I'm outside the temple, I'm someone else here. I was someone else inside the temple, someone else outside the temple. But the idea is, the idea is that the idea of the temple is you enter the temple, you become no, sprinkled with certain influences such that you go out the temple and you feel, oh, the temple is bigger than what I thought. Here is the, the whole world is a temple. That you extend your vision, everything is a temple. Everything again our opportunities of service. Everything is a Shakti of Bhagavan. If you go to the temple, it's for you to be reminded of those things. So when you go out of the temple, every time you go out, you, le- you feel less and less, I'm going out of the temple. Every time you go out of the temple, you should feel, the temple is becoming bigger. <laughs> that is confirming that you are going to the temple, actually. That you are really entering a temple and drawing some benefit. Because if not, it may be just some 
social event. We get together for a while. We have a nice time, but but I'm not changing. My vision of the of the, of life is not changing. So you should be transformed. The temple is an experience of transformation, not only information. There, there is information that wants to take you to some transformation. So yes, we should try to see everything again, and not in a neurotic way, not in a superficial, mechanical way. But there should be some effort on our side of trying to develop this vision, because our well-wishers have that vision. They are seeing everything in connection to its potential and service to Krishna. And that's a very deep, generous, generous outlook, because they are looking at us with those same eyes. Even though we sometimes may be failing in serving Krishna, they are just seeing she, he, she has potential to serve Krishna. I will try to like that flame, to, to nourish that flame. So we should try to reciprocate accordingly and to see everything in, in their connection to Krishna. That's the most respectful thing I can do. Now, if I relate with one person, if I relate with one object, whatever, I should address that, oh, this has an inherent potential to be connected to Krishna in Seva. That's its most sacred potential. If I'm not respecting that, do not expect that in my own case that will happen. So if I want to take full advantage of my own potential in service to Krishna, I should allow everything and everyone else to have that chance as well. So when I interact with sense objects, when I interact with human beings, when I interact with whatever, whoever, I should also try to have this very bear this in mind and do not forget this there is some potential in connection to Krishna here so how do I honor that properly how I respect so in that way you will be really respecting honoring everything and that's a very different outlook than just seeing people or things for your own selfish enjoyment I mean I hope that you feel the difference <laughs> and I hope that you feel inspiration to go into the proper direction so again, whenever we are not seeing that, the only thing that remains is everything is for my service. You're just projecting your own lack of connection to Krishna and you project that to everything. Your own distraction and you see everything disconnected from Krishna. Well, everything is connected to Krishna. But you are not aware of that at that moment, so you see everything disconnected as well. So at least in theory we should feel... I don't want to live in such an illusion because in theory I know everything has the potential to be connected to Krishna. I know it's, it's a fact, but sometimes I do not see like that and I behave in an upwards, like opposite way. So that should bring some impetus not for us to try to gradually overcome that and to make our practice more and more... Uh, committed, if you will, in, in that direction. Again, in a, in a gradual way, uh, and that should be something healthy and joyful and voluntary, of course. First, we need to understand that this is like this is a fact. This is not some, some superficial imposition. Again, that's the most natural, that should be the most natural flow of things uh, in connection to its source. That's a spiritual world, of course, I know. It's a high goal, but we are to go in that direction. So, some ideas. I hope that helps. Uh, Radha Giridhari. Uh, 
Yes, amazing. Thank you very much. Okay. What else? Bhakti Shakti has some question. No, it's just in continuation. It's in connection to this what Radhagiri Dari asked in your answer. Yes. Um, I just wonder, is it uh, how, how we should look at our um, spiritual guidance until now in this connection? Like, uh, is it some uh, waste of time and we were like uh, totally misdirected, or <laughs> is it also like? Uh, we were learning some basic important things and now we can continue because you know we were not studying very much and we were like very much into the more enunciation idea instead of bhakti idea directed kind of or like how we should look at this guidance we had up to now well i'm giving a general answer of course because each of you is a, an individual being with their own particular experience of that but to begin with I will say we should look at that with gratitude I mean at least I'm giving my own take on the situation so I, I don't want also to impose how do I choose to approach that but I personally feel uh, grateful I, I think I received lots of good things I, I, I'm, I do not think I've been cheated and everything was a waste of time and there was nothing good to extract because I, I wouldn't be honest to, to myself. I, I don't feel like that sincerely. And I feel I learned a lot. And even from those things that were not so uh, ideal, well, I'm, I learned about that or I'm trying to learn about that. <laughs> and we keep trying to learn about that. And this is, goes beyond one person or the other because we on a daily basis engage in so many unbecoming things and commit so many mistakes and we should also learn from our own mistakes so we should try to remain grateful whatever the circumstance now, I think that's a much more healthier stance than just entering into whatever hateful, revengeful mentality or, or black and white you know? it was everything the best or it was everything the worst and sometimes People don't have the capacity to to ride a gray wave, if you will. It's black wave or white wave. It was the topmost thing, or it was a total, no, whatever, no, lie. And, and not necessarily. No? We should be able to, to extract different elements and to learn from all of them and to and to be grateful one way or another. That's a much more, I think, mature. And I'm not saying. I'm doing that perfectly, but I know that I should be uh, approaching that in that way. That will be the, the best form of that. So, whatever has been the experience of Bhakti Shakti or myself or whoever connected here till, up till now, uh, that is different again. Not all of us had the exact same experience. So, I'm saying that because not everyone may feel totally identified with the experience of the other. But I will say that some, we should learned we, we should be grateful for all the things that we uh, learn from that we are learning from that there are many things still to be learned from that and we may not even realize them <laughs> we are in the process of processing them and if some things we have realized oh yes there was not enough whatever focus on this and that there was not enough emphasis in this and that 
Okay, if you recognize that now, for, any, for some reason we were not able to be aware of that at a certain time, or some of us, uh, well, take full advantage of that now. I will say that, and to remain in a practical and dynamic thing. If you realize, yeah, I, I did not receive any, a certain elements from a certain person, okay, now that I realize that and I need that, I will complement all the things by receiving them in some direction or another. So, But again, this is very personal. Because for some person, certain things may be necessary and for other person, still not. Maybe necessary in the future, but still not. And in the same way for us, we may feel something as necessary, but for more, much more advanced devotees, some other things are more necessary. So it's a very individual thing, consideration. So, so we should be very attentive to that on one side. But again, beyond the individuality of each one, I think we should feel grateful. And, uh, and, the, and, and that's a much more difficult thing, of course, I know. Uh, it's easier. I mean, it's more difficult, but more nourishing. No? Because it's easy to just put black and white and, and criticize everything or do not see any mistake and continue in a superficial, whatever. But you are not being so mature, you won't grow that much in that case. So much challenging is to appreciate all the nice things learned from the mistakes, learn from pain, learn from everything. Because that's life. You have to learn, especially in the most difficult moments. Try to pay attention to many of our main books. All of them are presented in limits situations, you know, Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, very difficult moments. You, know, you are just about to kill everyone <laughs> of your dearest ones, or you have been cursed to die in seven days. I mean, those are tough moments. It's not just one story. I mean, try to enter into the story and try to apply that to you, to ourselves. Someone tells you, you have only one week left. I mean, you have to do something there. <laughs> So everyone receives what, what they need to receive. So that's, there is some reason for, for us to have gone through this particular experience. I mean, we may not be able yet to grasp all the details of that, but we, are in the pro we should be in the process of that. And, and, and to be in the process of that means to do that with gratefulness, but also with, with maturity and with acceptance of certain details that were not there, that may be necessary now, and do the needful in order to, to receive them, but respecting, again, the individual necessity, and some others may not be yet in that necessity, and being very careful of not imposing one's own needs into the path of the other. That's not so easy. Again, that requires lots of maturity, lots of uh, insight as an individual. So maybe we may be failing nowadays in all those things, and that may the insight we need to receive. <laughs> I need to go more mature in order to deal properly with the other situation and, and respect the limits of each one's experience and nourish my own necessity, but respecting one's other's necessity and keeping that in harmony and balance. That's, that's one of the main challenges for sure. So hopefully all of you are going through that as individuals and of course as a as a community there, because, and you are not only the exception to the rule, that's going on everywhere, as you may imagine. So, <laughs> so we are all into that beautiful 
beautiful, challenging, challenging dance. It's like learning to dance. And sometimes we may fall to the floor and fall over another one. Oh, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> I have nothing against you, and we keep still dancing. So we are in the dancing school, so no problem. We may be a little bit disastrous doing that, but it's part of the learning process. <laughs> So some words about that hope that helps. <clears throat> Thank you very much, yes. Okay. So, uh, next question? Yes, yes, we have some time. Next question is from Udova Prabhu, uh, the Bulgarian okay. Udova. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is he connected? Uh, no, he's not connected. To uh, he was connected on Skype. Let me just check if he's still here. Okay, okay. Just want to... Um, no, he just left, but uh, yes. he will hear the record. Yeah. Okay. So, his question is, why is it said the dark well of the a family life? And because in Srimad Bhagavatam, in many places it is stated like this, and even Prabhupada commented on it like a dark well of family life, and how to make it uh, the light one? This is the question. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me just translate, or maybe not even a well. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So yeah, this is one of the many expressions that need to be uh, not so much updated but explained properly, you now giving context to to the, the thing because as, as I always say, a text without a context becomes a pretext. No, I made a play of words, a pun there, but it's it's like that. I mean, you can take the scripture and make it a disaster with that, no? quoting some words here, some words there, and presenting them out of context, and you may just misrepresent the whole tradition. And unfortunately, sometimes <clears throat> some devotees who lack that criterion do so, no? in the name of presenting the conclusive truths of the Sampradaya and they are just making the ridicule. So, this is one of these examples. Of course, Udak's question is very proper because he's showing some concern how to properly understand this expression. Dark well of family life. Yeah, this is mentioned in the Bhagavad on different occasions. So, what does it mean? Now, does it mean that Family life is a dark well. Doesn't mean that most of you are in the dark well right now. <laughs> no. It doesn't seem too inspiring. No, that's a point, of course, for sure. No, or so many other statements that like, I don't know, certain so-called things about women, and doesn't mean the woman and this and that. But again, when you go to the details and the context, you realize it's not speaking of a woman. So, it's important in all these controversial sections to get the bigger picture. So, of course, now we will go to this particular case. But I think it's important to solve these controversies because if not one may be practicing without wanting to go to certain sections because they have not been fully solved and that remains a certain type of disturbance and that shouldn't be like that. And we should understand as well, for sure, the relative side of Scripture on the circumstantial times and why something is said with certain terms in certain time of society thousands of years ago. <laughs> there are so many things that one needs to go through in order to 
really get the context of the thing. Mm-hmm. So in this case, this is a simple one in comparison. <laughs> For example, in seventh count of the Bhagavad, Prahlad Maharaj is saying that. He expresses himself in this in this uh, terms. Mm-hmm. The dark well of family life. Now you may wonder, but he is in family life. Uh, he was not a brahmachari or a grihasta uh, or a banaprasta or sannyasi. He was a grihasta. Mm. And he remained a grihasta. We always hear Pralad Maharaj. Of course, we know him as a child, but eventually he got married and had a whole kingdom. And so he's like speaking about that, but he himself is entering that so called dark well. So was that a dark well or not? So actually when you go to the detail or when we follow the, the, the purpose of Prabhupada or other Acharya, when they speak about dark well of family life, means I will say the dark side of family life, which doesn't mean with family life in itself, but means what we will call Grihamedi, which means ordinary family life, attached, materially attached family life. That's the dark well of that. Of course, you can have a dark well of Sanyas Ashram as well. I mean, you can be a so-called renunciant externally, but internally you are just attached to fame, name, followers, or whatever. No? I mean, that's the same idea. Exter- you should do something, something is expected in that particular ashram, but you may become attached to things that do not correspond with that, so that's a dark well. So when the scriptures speak about dark well of family life, it's not saying family life is wrong. Because, again, most, many examples of the Bhagavatam are people in family life. Most of the associates of Mahaprabhu, people in family life. In Golok Vrindavan, you will in family life. You, if, whether you are a Gopa or a Gopi, you will have your family. You won't be a Brahmachari in Golok Vrindavan or a Sannyasi. No. So... There's, there's something that is okay with family life. There's no problem. But the problem is when we get attached to that and attached in a selfish way. What I was explaining before, you are not seeing Krishna there. You are not seeing that in relation to Krishna. You are feeling my house, my wife, my husband, my children, my money. And you start to develop this because that's a danger in family life. Not only in family life, everywhere. But you can, we are speaking about family life now. So you have your car, your house, your job, your money, your wife, your... And you may start to very subtly develop this idea, this belongs to me. I am the owner of this. And this is here for my enjoyment. My house, my... No, so you grow, subtly you may create no, a dark well, basically. <laughs> No, your house becomes a dark well in that sense. If you think, if you see your house in terms of my place for my own enjoyment with my ex- the extensions of my ego in the form of those things that belong to me, the I, me, mine. In that sense, family life can become a dark well. But it's not that family life is in itself a dark well. Family life has the potential to be exactly the opposite. Strictly the Vedas say Vasudhaiva Kutumbakam, which means there is no more than one family, which means we all belong to that one family. So when you think about your family as separate from some other family, <laughs> in that moment you start to create a problem. 
You don't see yourself as part of a big universal family, but start to think in terms of my family, my wife, my inner circle. And that creates this duality. So this is mainly the caution that the scriptures try to give when they speak about um, dark well of family life. This is technically called Grihamedi. That's opposed to Grihasta. Grihasta means someone in family life who is seeing the bigger picture or at least struggling to do so. No? In the context of bhakti, having family lives, trying to be balanced in an emotional way, human way, but trying to see all that in service. And Grihamed is someone who just makes his house uh, a place for enjoyment, basically. A dark well. Mm-hmm. So again, this is not limited to family life. Mm-hmm. The danger is there for everyone. But we are, sometimes the scripture is speaking, that connection. Mm-hmm. So... Yes, if you have a family life, you, should, you shouldn't think in terms of my wife. I mean, you, you can use expressions sometimes. I'm not, we have to be practical sometimes. <laughs> if you're in the street and someone asks you, who is that lady? You may not say, well, she's a Vaishnavi that has been put under my service by the grace of Bhagavan. You may say, she's my wife. Okay, you, you have to be practical. No? But how do you feel that inside of yourself? That's the whole thing. So you may feel, you should feel that, no? My, my children, my wife, my husband, all of them are Vaishnavs and they have come to my life and, and I am to serve them. They, have, they are my gurus in so many ways. They are teaching me so many things. And hopefully I, I may be of service to them. So this house is not my house. It's Bhagavan's temple and I am being allowed to stay here. So again, this is, has to do with the orientation. It's, it's external is the same thing. You have the family, the house, the car, the, the job. But how you relate to that, that's what makes the difference between a dark well and a brilliant, <laughs> whatever, landscape. No? Externally, the house is not a problem. Wife, husband is not a problem. Job, children is not a problem. But how do you conceive them? That can be a problem or that can be the solution to the problem. So... And it's, it's a great advantage if you are in family life, okay, you take the advantage of, of understanding, okay, here I, I, I am to serve them. No, I'm not the only one. They are not to serve me. When you start to think in those terms, that becomes a big complication. No? So, so that, that's mainly the idea of the dark well of family life. It's not the condemnation to getting married or having children. It's just trying to speak, in, in, again, in, in Puranic terms about the dangers in, in that direction that may happen if you are not properly addressing that particular stage of life. But again, it can happen to everyone. No? Because I say this because sometimes many devotees have like pointed to the, oh yes, the Grihasta, the, the married people are the touched ones, they are in Maya in their houses, and we are the monastics who are enlightened and are detached, and all this nonsense that has nothing to do with bhakti. Mm-hmm. So... I even don't like the expression external devotees for the ones who live outside the temple and internal devotees. Like, I mean, what does it make you an internal or external devotee? It has nothing to do with where you are living, but where are you living inside? What's your inner residence? Now, that makes you external or internal, not just the geographical location or the color of your clothes. Or 
relative details. No? So we should get accustomed to, to see things in that way, mm? more substantial. But thank you for a question, Uda. I hope that that clarifies a little bit. <clears throat> no. So there are more questions? Uh, yes, we have more questions. Oh, okay. Should we continue? Okay, we have one from Duyavni Thai. Okay. What is the meaning of the words Aim, Klim, Vid, Mahe, Dimai, Svaha in the Gayatri Mantra? Okay. Just to translate. So he asked about which words? Aim, Klim, Vid, Mahe, Dimahi, and Svaha. Aim, Klim, Vid, Mahe, Dimahi, and Svaha. Yes. Yeah, many words. <laughs> <laughs> many classes. <laughs> What to do? Well, I, I will share some words, yeah. We gave some seminar of, on Gayatri Mantra some years ago, but that was in Spanish, I think. Well, like some classes are going through the different lines. No? Because when we say Gayatri, actually we refer to Diksha Mantras. Because Gayatri is mostly connected to the what's sometimes called the Brahma Gayatri. Ombur, Bhubha, Saha, and so on. That's what's generally called as Gayatri. But the other lines are not necessarily all Gayatri. Gayatri also has, it's a particular type of Vedic mantra who has some meter, which includes certain words. For example, you have the Guru Gayatri, Gaur Gayatri, Kam Gayatri. Of course, there are Gayatris. But in the, between them, you have mantras. Guru Mantra, Gaur Mantra, Kopal Mantra. They are not Gayatris. They're called mantra. There's another structure. So my point is, when we speak about all that, sometimes we say Gayatri, but strictly speaking, there are Diksha mantras. There are mantras that are given to us in the moment of Diksha. That's just a technical clarification. So, each word of the mantra is important, of course, and different lines are there. So he's asking about claim, I'm, to begin with. There, these are called Bija mantras, or seed, seed-like mantras, stream, Aim, Klim, hmm? generally beginning with the different lines. Om, sometimes is connected to that. So Bija mantras are a particular type of uh, invocation that starts, that is there at the beginning of a particular mantra or Gayatri, which in seed is including all that is to be unfolded in the rest of the Gayatri or in the mantra. Hmm? So Aim, Klim, Shrim, Hrim, there are many. And sometimes in other schools, not so much ours, these are recited like separately, only only Bija mantras and not other things about with them. So Aim and Klim are different types of Bija mantras, and some of, it's not that we can use it randomly. Some of them are connected to the principle of Guru or more feminine nature, masculine, whatever, in, in, in transcendental terms, of course. So we use some of them, as you may see, no? from Gaur Mantra, Gaur Gayatri, Krishna Mantra, Krishna Gayatri, Klim is there for Guru Gayatri, Guru Mantras, Aim. In other schools they use Srim, in connection to Sri Guru as well. So something there for Aim and Klim. Mm-hmm. There are Bija Mantras. Then he asked about Bitmahe, Dimahi and Swaha. Uh, why did you not ask about Prachodayas? That's a question, but no problem. <laughs> I will mention something. 
So Bidmahe means this this has to do with Gayatri, with the Gayatri, no? Brahma Gayatri, Guru Gayatri, Gaur Gayatri, Kama Gayatri, all of them include the words Bidmahe, Dimahi Amprachodayat. Hmm? In the Brahma Gayatri there is a little exception. And it's, and it's the word is Varenyam, but it's a parallel to the Bidmahe. Urbhavata Savitur Varenyam, Bargo Devasha Dimahi Yojana Prachodayat. So there's Dimahi and Prachodayat, but it's not Bidmahe. But Varenyam and the first part is connected with Bidmahe. So the classical division is Bidmahe, Dimahi, Prachodayat. So these three things has to do with Sambanda, Abhideya, and Prayojan. So, Bitmahe means to know, try to know. For example, I am Guru Devaya Bitmahe means try to know your Guru, try to know Sri Guru. Of course, it has to do with Sambanda, as we spoke before. Sambanda means try to receive oriental, conceptual orientation, certain knowledge that will educate yourself about who is, in this case, Guru or Gore or Krishna, whoever. So, Bitmahe has to do with Sambanda, the stage of receiving proper knowledge, revealed knowledge about who is, in this case, the object of the mantra. So, Bitmahe, then we go to Dimahi. Dimahi means meditate. And meditate for us is just does not represent some passive thing, no, I'm meditating, but try to engage in, in, in service. Internally you can do that, of course, but the attitude again, devotional attitude. So when we say, I don't know, the same mantra says, Krishnanandaya Dhimahi. Krishnanandaya Dhimahi means, try to meditate in the Krishnananda of your Guru. Krishnananda means, the Ananda, the bliss, he or she is feeling in relation to Krishna. So that has to do with Guru's inner world, no? which is the type of Ananda he's feeling, the joy. Of course, this can be this experience in different levels according to the realization of the devotee. No? Eventually, a very advanced devotee, Krishnananda Adimahi, will, I will meditate in my Guru's spiritual body and, and the bliss he's or she is experiencing in his service to Krishna, his spiritual body again. You have to have an adhikar for that. You just cannot imagine that. But on some level, you can meditate on the ananda, the bliss that your guru is showing, Sri Guru is showing in serving Krishna, as much as you can perceive that. So Dimahi has to do with meditation and trying to serve that. That meditation, if you will. How? Because it's not just, I see that I think about that. It's not just a thought. What to do with that thought, with that idea? I want to serve that. I want to serve the ananda that my guru is feeling for Krishna, as we said before. Most probably, the ananda that your guru is feeling for Krishna is the same type of mood that you will want to attain as your own goal. That becomes your ideal. So you want to serve that. It's not just, I want to think about that. I will just sit and meditate. No. I want to surrender myself to that. So that has to do with the word dimahi. And then we have prachodayat. Prachodayat is an invitation to be... And, and this second one, again, Dimahi has to do with Abhideya. The first one was Sambanda. Abhideya is the means or the practice, Bhakti. So try to render Bhakti 
to that devotional service to that to that meditation on what your your guru has in his heart may that become the object of your service and prachodayat means in this case tanno guru prachodayat no? like may he enthused me may he gave me enthusiasm to keep in that current if you will to continue in that service in that meditation which is prachodayat the goal to attain the goal to attain is basically what we are doing now but eternally and of course with pure love with in, prem, in the concept of prem bhakti prachodayat is the ultimate goal which is divine love but it's similar to what we are doing now that's what Narottam Dastakur say he says that the difference between sadhana bhakti and prem bhakti is the level of ripeness now, in, in, in sadhana bhakti your practice is still unripe and, and immature but in bhava and prem bhakti the same thing that you are doing shravan, kirtan, seva becomes ripe full and mature so prachodayat means I pray that I may be enthused and inspired and blessed to continue doing the things I'm doing now, but of course in the, in the best possible way. So that has to do with Prachodaya. And finally, they all ask about Swaha. So that's a word that basically only appears in, in the context of the Diksha Mantras in the Gopal Mantra. So my Guru Maharaj has been explaining that recently and also it's very in recent lectures I think the ones that were in Spanish in this case and there's also I will recommend this connection for a moment and I will say something of, of course about Swaha uh, he wrote a commentary on the Gopal Tapa and Upanishad in English and the Gopal Tapa and Upanishad is basically a, one of the main Upanishads would explain in detail the Gopal Mantra and therefore explain in detail all of the words of the mantra, and Swaha is one of them. So Swaha basically refers to give ourself. I give myself in love to the object of my Swaha. Sometimes in the fire sacrifice, you have heard this sometimes, you know, the jagnyas, Swaha, Swaha. <laughs> but this shouldn't become some sort of robotic repetition no? like after this mantra you say so and throw the rice to the priest of the ceremony oh sorry to the fire <laughs> because generally the rice goes to the head of the one who is throwing the, the ghee on the fire it should go to the fire but that's the <laughs> that's the karma of being the priest all the rice will go to your head and not to the fire but that's another thing but we throw the rice to the fire and we say so aha but what's the symbology of that? It's not just try to try to make the rice enter into the fire, try to have accurate no, target. It's not just not do not miss the target with the rice. It's not like a game, like throwing an arrow and then throwing the rice to the fire and say and have to say some weird word along with it. No, rice is representing of myself. Rice has to do with food. It's interesting. We have to understand how the Indian psychology work at that time. Rice, in Sanskrit, sometimes it is said Anna. Anna, especially in, in North, North India. Anna means rice, but also means food. Why? Because in North India, especially, if there is no rice, there is no food. 
in, in the sense of someone serves you some plate with something, but there's no rice, you will ask, oh, where's the food? Uh, in Argentina, we'll have to do with meat, oh, with beef. If someone has not beef in the plate, they will say, there's no food here. Just salad and some rice. But where's the, the main stuff? Oh, so according to the culture, something is the main thing there on the plate. So in India, Anna means rice. Anna means food. And food means what? Life. Without food, we can't live. At least in Kali Yuga, that's established in the scriptures. In other ages, people could sustain their lives in their bones, in their pram, in their nervous system, even without food. In Kali Yuga, if you don't have lunch after two days, you are gone. <laughs> so that's another level. But that's another thing. But the point is, Anna means rice, Anna means food, Anna means life. Rice, food, life. So you are throwing rice, you are throwing food, you are throwing your life. So that's the ultimate idea of the grain of rice through the fire. I'm throwing myself, I'm giving my life to that fire. Of course, what that fire means? That's Krishna, Yajnavai Vishnu. No? The fire is a representative of Bhagavan. He's like a big fire who has the capacity to digest whatever comes to him, whoever throws to him. So, Swaha has to do with, I give myself, in, in a particular way, of course, I give myself voluntarily and in love. It's not like in a battle someone is about to kill me and I have to surrender what to do and throw the white uh, flag. I surrender. It's not that you want to do that, <laughs> but you don't have another option. But here we are speaking about, I give myself in love. To Krishna. So Swaha means that. So whenever you throw the rice to the fire, it's re actually representing you entering to the fire of surrender, of taking full shelter of Bhagavan. So whenever this word appears, for example, in Gopal Mantra, at the end, after invoking the names, after the Bija Mantra claim, and after Krishna, Govinda, Gopijana, Balava, Swaha. So, Gopijana Balabhaya, Govindaya, Krishnaya, the Ya means two. Two Govinda, two Krishna, two Gopijana Balabha. What? Swaha. I give myself in love. No, I present myself. I fully, I, I, I want to make my, of myself an offering of that. Atma Samarpana means I want to make a full offering of myself in love to that. So, of course, it's easier said than done but we have to begin somewhere. You know? So the word Swaha has to do with that. And interestingly, in the Gopal Tapa Upanishad, the word Swaha is ultimately identified with the figure of Sri Radha, who basically personifies the very form of that Swaha, of giving herself for the pleasure of Krishna from tip to toe, no? in every atom and pore of her being, full devotional surrendering, just full concern for the pleasure of the beloved. So the word Swaha in the Gopal Mantra also speaks about Radha. So there is Krishna and there is Radha. The two of them, Radha and Krishna, are there present in this mantra, which is the main one of the whole, of all Diksha mantras, Krishna mantras. So some words about Swaha, which is a very important term, very small but powerful one. 
So, I hope that helps and I hope that I didn't miss any of the words that I'll ask about. <laughs> no, I think even one more. <laughs> okay. So, are we done or still more questions? We, we still have two questions if you feel like it. Let's go with one and let's see where do we end. Okay, uh, so Ganga Shakti is yeah. asking. Yes. In, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna teaches Arjuna that he must fulfill his prescribed duty, which is to fight, because Arjuna was born a Kshatri. In our modern society, we are not born in prescribed duties. How to find out what is it that Krishna wants us to do? Is it related to our work commitments or to our family commitments, for example, raising a child, if we have one? Or is it the purely spiritual duty that we have accepted by deciding to become a devotee? Yes. Do we have time for this one? Yes? Yeah, yeah, I can say some. Yeah, I may not enter into full detail as with the other ones, but I will okay. reply that one. I'm not sure about the second just, one, but let's see. Let's just one second to translate. Okay. Okay, so Krishna Bhagavad Gita speaks about two types of duty, if you will, to, to make it simple, two types of dharma, which we may call swadharma, one's own duty in the world according to one's acquired nature, and paradharma, or one's eternal duty as a soul in connection to Bhagavan. So Bhagavad Gita, the narrative of Bhagavad Gita in the beginning starts about Mainly, no, although in between, oh, Bhagavad Gita mainly speaks about bhakti, which is paradharma. But in the context of speaking about bhakti, Krishna speaks about other forms of dharma to highlight bhakti, actually, directly or indirectly. So when he says to Arjuna, behave as a kshatriya, do your duty, he's speaking more in the context of karma, karma yoga, nishkam karma yoga, perform your duty in the world without attachment for that, for the results of that. And of course, we are not in the Barnashram society, as Ganga Shakti said. But still, we have some nature. I mean, even though there are not fixed divisions in society, Kshatriya, Brahmana, Vaisya, so there still people have affinities. More intellectual class, administrative class, business class, artists, or whatever, workers. Still, that's there. There is acquired nature. So people, the principle is still the same. People should act in the world according to their nature. And so that's something we should learn to ascertain in order for to, again, be a healthy human being and on that foundation project, as will, my Gurmash will say, develop proper horizontal development so we can project the proper vertical development to transcendence. First you have to have your two feet on the ground and be a functional human being and, and, and nourish your nature as much as it's required. I mean, it's not, you have to know the limits of that as well, because you can also live your whole life trying to be more balanced and more balanced, 
materially speaking, and there's no end to that. And so you should know when to stop <laughs> and to understand, I have to create this satwik, satwa foundation in that sense, but that's only the means, if you will, or something that will help the other thing. This is not the goal in itself. So we should learn to ascertain our nature, whether it may be in terms of barna or in ashram. No, with this I mean whether you may feel I want to be single, have a monastic life, or I want to enter into family life, or, or the other option in regarding Barna, no, uh, I feel some inclination towards this type of engagement, this type of occupation. I mean, one may not be able to ascertain that from one day to the other, another, but some nature is there. So we should have that balance. So that's one level of duty. So Bhagavad Gita speaks about that on some level, but that's not the ultimate, of course, intention, because Krishna himself says to Arjuna in that beginning section of the Gita, perform your duty, no, perform your dharma, but if you go to the conclusion of the Bhagavad Gita, what does it say? Sarva dharma parityaja. He says, totally reject all dharma. So you say, wow, he's saying exactly the opposite here. But that's 600 verses after that. <laughs> so there is a whole lot of things in between. In the beginning he say, follow your dharma. And the end say, reject the old dharma. And he say, Mam ekam just come to me in Braj. Our acharyas will say, will identify the word Braj. Braj means come, but also means Braj. <laughs> so... But that's the conclusion of the Bhagavad Gita. So not everyone is ready for the conclusion. Imagine that the Bhagavad Gita, first verse of the Gita, will say that, Krishna, abandon everything and come to me. Nobody will be now here in this conversation today. No. <laughs> because we will have to get scared about such a book. First verse saying, leave everything behind and just come to me. No way. Most people will run from that. So Krishna knows no, when to say everything, each thing. And even when he says such a thing in the conclusion, after that he says, Master Chaha, don't be scared, he said to Arjuna. Don't be afraid. Now, even though he already says some other things and prepared the whole stage, now surrender fully to me. Don't be afraid. No, I will protect you from everything. There's nothing to fear. All, no sin will touch you. Because again, if you... And, and, and there, Krishna is saying to Arjuna, transcend Barna Ashram. No, do not do not do the thing because it's a correct thing to do in society. No, but do this thing because I am asking you that, and I love you. And you love me. So this the thing is the same. Externally, Arjuna is fighting, but the motivation is different. In the beginning stage, will be, I'm a kshatriya. I have to do my duty. If I do not do my duty, I will engage in sin. I will give a bad example. Blah blah blah. That's one level. Of motivation. On the other level is Krishna is asking me to fight and I love him and I want to please him. So I will do as he as he instructs me. Because he loves me and I love him. That's a totally different consideration. That's bhakti, paradharma. Externally is the same thing, Krishna is fighting. But internally the conception is different. So that's the difference between one type of dharma and the other. So and we, in our particular case, again, there is maybe a mixture of that. We are in the, in the bhakti mark, of course, we want to do something for the pleasure of Krishna. But in the context of that, we need to be, again, functional human beings in society. So we should try to, to learn to ascertain our nature. But again, in the context of the bigger picture, 
of the paradharma or bhakti, not just to be a good human being in society, that's still temporary. Mm -hmm. So, some words about that, I hope that clarifies Ganga Shakti. Or you have still some doubt? I cannot hear you. Uh, yeah, um, thank you. Uh, to a big extent, it, it actually answered my question. But I think, uh, in a way, I'm still a bit confused because um, you said yourself, like in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells to Arjuna, do this because I'm asking you to. But uh, obviously, we, we are not at that level that we hear what Krishna is telling us. Um, I don't know if I express myself clearly enough. Uh, we don't have Krishna next to us who tells us, you know, do this because, uh, yeah, we, we kind of try to use our discrimination, which is not so uh, clear and perfect. Well, we don't have Krishna next to us in one sense, but we have Krishna next to us, Actually, strictly speaking, Bhagavad Gita is Krishna speaking to us, not to Arjuna. Strictly. I mean, he's not speaking to Arjuna, strictly speaking. Arjuna is a eternally associate, eternal associate of Krishna, totally enlightened. So he's playing the role of us there. So he's giving advice to us. Of course, you may say still, yes, yes, but in my specific situation, well, for that you have Guru and Sadhu, which is Krishna coming to our life in that particular form. The scripture mentioned that one side of the Guru is Krishna himself. Krishna is Atari Mambuyaniyam. He says in the Bhagavad, I am the Guru. Mm -hmm. So Krishna is coming to ourselves in the form of revealed message, Shastra, in the form of Harinam, holy name, daily we are singing. Krishna is there, fully present there. Krishna is there, present in the Archavikraha, in the Deity, in the figure of the Guru. So we should be able to, to feel his presence, to understand his presence in all those things. So, how much present I am in front of him. That's another thing. So we should also work on that. And uh, of course, there are sadhus. We should have sadhus in our life and we may receive some advice from them. Of course, we should develop our own criteria. We should think for ourselves. We should learn to think properly. Sometimes, in some cases, some devotees may require some complementary uh, advice from some professional, if you will, psychologist, depending the case, I'm speaking in a very general way, but sometimes that could be helpful in some cases, no problem with that. So, each one should know how to deal with their own situation. No, there's no any magical button. No? Krishna is there in our life. No? Shastra is there, sadhus are there. But we should be able open to take advantage of that and we are in the learning curve. We are in the, in the teaching process, so sometimes we may make mistakes, we will learn from that. And not everything will be totally clear from day one, but we should be attentive to our own self, and we should be contemplative, introspective, and sometimes that's difficult, sometimes we may, we may like someone to tell us what to do, 100%. Tell me what to do, what not to do, I will follow that, and, and everything is magical, but it's, it doesn't work like that. We should learn for ourselves. Krishna himself says to Arjuna, Okay, I have instructed you, now think for yourself and decide what to do. Krishna is not saying, just obey me and do not think for yourself. He says, okay, I have spoken now, but now you process my discourse and take the steps you consider necessary. So there is nothing 
that can avoid us being responsible for ourselves in that sense. So that's an important point that we need to... We shouldn't be afraid of being responsible. Responsibility is very important to grow, to become fully mature practitioners, human beings, devotees. So, so gradually all that will happen. And, and the guide is there, the sadhus are there, shastra is there. So we should be open to receive that advice and to put that in practice. And if something is not fitting, okay, we can re- rethink about that, re-speak about that, reconfigure. And this way, gradually, we are adjusting ourselves. And maybe you get to adjust in a particular situation and in time something else happens and you need to readjust and to adapt. That's life about. That's what's life about. No problem. As Darwin will say, the survival of the fittest. <laughs> no, he was right in that sense. We need to keep ourselves in an, an adapting role. No, that will keep us flexible. No, and not just, this is the only way to do things proper. So I got the formula. Nobody will move me from that. That's not how life works, especially with Krishna. He will play the flute and who knows what will happen. <laughs> and he may play the flute from this side and you run there and when you get there he's playing flute there so you know you have to run there and you cannot say Krishna, hey, I, I, I did so much engagement endeavor to get here and now you're playing flute there. I mean, there's no place for that. He's playing flute whenever he likes, whatever he likes and everyone is just happy to run after that. So we should develop this adaptability and flexibility um, and keep growing in that sense. So try to keep yourself under good guidance and good association and gradually everything will become more and more uh, accomplished, if you will. So, hope that helps. Um, I think we can stop here, Mahaprabhu. So if there was one... Because now at one thirty there is a second lecture by Maguru Maharaj and I have to be doing the to Spanish translation. translation. So yeah. just some 45 minutes of brain resting. <laughs> <laughs> and if there was some question remaining, we can do it next meeting. Next so time. please have it written there. And sorry yes. for the one who made that question. Please have some patience, some weeks, and we will address that. So thank you very much to all of you. Again, it's my pleasure to... To share with all of you. No, it's my pleasure. Greetings to all of you. Shri Lagurudev ki jai, Shriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Shri Arinam Kirtan ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Brinda ki jai, Gaur Pramananda Haribo. Haribo.